Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear, the final sermon in a three-part series, was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, July 10th, 2022. It focuses on Peter's words concerning false teachers and false prophets. The message to all who will listen is, turn away from those who won't call sin, sin, or who don't believe salvation is needed or paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. All right, let's take just a moment and get our hearts and our minds focused on God's Word and what He has to say to us and get our ears tuned into what the Spirit has to say. That's who we're here to hear from. It's not me, it's God. So let's try to hear from Him. God, you're here, and we acknowledge that. We are reminded of that today, and I pray, God, that you would accomplish your purposes in us. I pray that your spirit would use your word to do everything that you want to do. And help us to be attentive to whatever it is that you say to us personally. God, help us to be aware of those things that cause you offense and those things that cause you pleasure. And Father, help us to seek those things and go after those things that are good and to shun those things that are evil. In Jesus' name, amen. True or false? You knew I was going to ask that, right? Third week here. So true or false? Red Bull gives you wings. False. Well, all right. It is their tagline, though, right? Red Bull gives you wings. And figuratively, maybe Red Bull does give you wings. I mean, the caffeine content is enough to kill a bull. I mean, to uh, give you a burst of energy, and maybe that makes you feel like you've got wings. But I have drunk a few Red Bulls in my life, most recently the summer edition slush at Sonic. And you can see I have no wings. And that is not only that I'm not an angel, but anyway, uh, so I don't have any feathery appendages with which I can fly to the heavens and chase Mississippi kites, which I'm kind of sad about. All right, so true or false, Red Bull has been sued over their Gives You Wings slogan. You know it's true. This is America. Here's what Business Insider magazine said about the suit on their website. Keep in mind, this is an article about 18 lawsuits over false advertising. Energy drinks company Red Bull was sued in 2014 for its slogan, Red Bull Gives You Wings. The company settled the class action case by agreeing to pay out a maximum of $13 million, including $10 to every U.S. consumer who had bought the drink since 2002. The tagline, which the company has used for nearly two decades, went alongside marketing claims that the caffeinated drink could improve a person's concentration and reaction speed. Beganin? Carithers was one of several consumers who brought the case against the Austrian drinks company. He said he was a regular consumer of Red Bulls for 10 years, but he had not developed wings or, <laughs> or shown any signs of improved intellectual or physical 
abilities. I would say he shows a decline in intellectual abilities, but we're not going to judge here. Red Bull released this statement following the settlement. Red Bull settled the lawsuit to avoid the cost and distraction of litigation. However, Red Bull maintains that its marketing and labeling have always been truthful and accurate and denies any and all wrongdoing or liability. Their lawyers made them say it. Let this sink in for just a second. Red Bull was sued because drinking their caffeinated sugar water does not cause consumers to grow wings. Like anybody really thought that's what they meant when they said Red Bull gives you wings. And the company lost their suit or actually just kind of gave up and said, we'll give money to people, just leave us alone. Right? Did anybody get the $10? No. Nobody drinks that stuff. It tastes nasty. Anyway, true or false? This is the height of absurdity. That's an opinion question, but it is, isn't it? Doesn't it just make you yell, true, 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 true? It's the height of absurdity. Well, in the same way, when I hear a teaching that's supposedly biblical, but isn't, I find myself wanting to shout, false, 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 false. In fact, I think probably in college I yelled at the screen a few times watching Dr. Gene Scott. I don't know if you remember him. Anyway, why do I get worked up about false teaching? It's because truth matters and has consequences in people's lives, not only for now, but for eternity. What God wants us to know about himself and how we're to live in his kingdom is important. How we gain salvation is not a trivial thing, something to be played around with or messed with. It's by faith in Jesus, not by works, just so you hear the gospel today. It's not by you just doing the right thing. It's by faith in Jesus and only by him. Is there room for differences of interpretations in some areas in the Bible? Of course there is. For centuries, faith-filled and faithful Christians have argued this way and that over less than central beliefs. They've argued about central ones too. I have close friends, pastors of other churches in this town with whom I differ greatly on a number of issues. Are they false teachers? No. They are brothers in Christ who see things differently but still preach the good news and hold fast to the Bible and still love Jesus and want the truth to win out. When Jesus warns about false teachers and false teaching, he's not encouraging distrust toward friends from other denominations who see things differently on minor issues. He's telling his disciples to look out for men and women who depart majorly from the truth. He's talking about those who ditch the Bible entirely or who take the Bible and twist it to their own means to manipulate others or to say things that the Bible does not say. Jesus is urging his followers to be alert for those who will lead them off after other gods because that was a real risk or a threat in his day. There was idolatry all over the place but also those who would lead them after other gospels, good news that wasn't good news at all. Teachings which ignore faith in Jesus cannot free anyone who believes them from the consequence and the condemnation that they're under due to sin. That's pretty serious stuff. 
We started this series two weeks ago with a quick summary of Jesus' words concerning false prophets and false teachers who he warned would come after him, both immediately and in the far distant future, which we're in a fairly far distant future. I think we can attest to the truth of what he said, that there are false teachers in our day, false prophets and teachers, sheep in wolves' clothing. We talked about that, that inwardly they were ferocious wolves. We can attest that his word is true. There are those today, as in Jesus' day, who do not practice what they preach. There are many among us who draw attention away from Jesus and draw it to themselves instead and who are after money, and that's about it. Last week in part two, we looked at what Paul said to Timothy in both of the letters that he wrote to Timothy concerning false teachers and false teaching, and we looked also at some teaching from 1 John chapter 4 about the same topics. Let me just remind you or jog your memory concerning what we learned last week from those two men. We saw that false teachers will cause their hearers to doubt God's word. They'll teach what's popular rather than what's true. They'll chase after financial gain. That's in both places. They'll twist God's word rather than preach it, and they'll deny Jesus' humanity, or they'll deny Jesus' deity. He's both. 100% man, 100% God, or he couldn't save us. This morning, as we wrap things up, we're going to let God speak to us through the writings of one more leader in the early church. Peter, in his second letter to the church, had a lot to say about these peddlers of falsehood that Jesus warned were going to come. And almost all of 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about errant teachers. We're going to read most of that chapter. And there's a short section in chapter 3 which adds in a little bit more that we need to see. But before we dive into those passages, I think it would be wise for us to begin with the words that we find at the end of chapter 1. These put forward the truth which helps us understand better what follows. So we're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. I believe that's where verse 21 is. We could read more, but we're going to let this stand for the rest. Here's what Peter wrote in chapter 1, starting at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the we here as the disciples. He, that is Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mount. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is reminding his readers, those he's writing to, that he was with Jesus during his life. He walked with them for three years or somewhere around that. As Jesus walked among the people, and even in those private times when they were off by themselves, just the disciples, he was there. He heard Jesus teach. He saw the miracles. There's an allusion here to him seen on the, on the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus, they could see his glory, and he was there with Moses and with Elijah talking with them. Peter is saying, I was there. He could attest to what Matthew wrote and what John wrote, what Luke wrote, 
It's likely that he even helped Mark with what Mark wrote. He was there when the Father spoke from the heavens about his pleasure in Jesus, his Son. This is important for us to keep in mind. The agreement among the church leaders as to which books would make up the New Testament was that the letters or the narratives needed to be written by someone who could directly attest to the things that had happened because they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, or they had direct contact with those people as they were writing. Peter, because he was one of Jesus' closest companions, is among those we should listen to. When he says that prophecy which is legitimate comes directly from God and not from the will of those who speak, we can trust his words. We count them as reliable. It was the Old Testament writings and the teachings of the apostle that gave guidance to the church in its early days. These continue to give us direction today. We don't get to make up new stuff. We have to refer back to the old stuff over and over. The Spirit of God uses the inspired words of his followers and of the prophets that have been preserved to help lead us into truth. All teaching has to be judged by how it lines up with the Bible as it's been passed down to us. If anyone teaches things that do not agree with the Bible, their teaching must be rejected as false. Such teachers speak merely human words and not God's words. So the standard of truth is not the mind of humans. As smart as you may be and as smart as some of you look, you are not the standard of truth. The standard of truth is the mind of God as revealed to us in his word that the spirit interprets to us. If we believe anything other than what the Bible says, we're delusional. It's us that's wrong. God's word is true. With that settled, let's take a look at what Peter, under the Holy Spirit's leadership, writes about false teachers in chapter 2. So Peter begins, 2 Peter 2, he begins a chapter with words concerning the sharp contrast between the faithful prophets commended at the end of chapter 1 and the purveyors of deception who threaten the integrity of the truth and the gospel message. So let's listen to what... Peter says what we have in 2 Peter 2, and we're going to read the first three verses. Let God speak to you through what you hear. But there were also false prophets among the people. So he already said in the Old Testament times there were true prophets, those who spoke by God. And, and now he's saying, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. There were false teachers in days gone by. At the time that Peter wrote this, when the true prophets spoke to God's people, these guys... They kind of just poo-pooed God's message. They said, nah, that's not what God said. Peter says the same thing's going to happen as he writes, and it'll keep on happening year after year, decade after decade. False prophets will always rise up to contradict truth speakers. Always. The teachers Peter is addressing have introduced destructive heresies into the church. We're not told exactly what their teaching was. But it is clear that they've strayed from the way of truth. They deny Jesus. 
or the need of obtaining salvation through him, or maybe they just deny that you need salvation at all. We're all good enough, aren't we? They seem also to promote some sort of licentiousness, implying depravity isn't that big a deal. Such teaching is leading to sinful behavior of a type which the world doesn't even stomach. If you caught that, it says, wow, the world's looking at you and the name of Jesus is being drugged through the mud because of you. The conduct of the followers of these teachers is damaging the church's reputation in the community. There is a movement in the United States and probably around the world which is much the same as the one that Peter is describing here. A movement which denies the need for Jesus' death on the cross in order to secure salvation. They also tend to tell folks that sexual sin isn't sin at all. Do what you want is their implied motto. Their teaching is the world's view with an added God loves you just the way you are and is okay with what you do. First part's true. God does love you the way you are. But the second part is false. God is not okay with whatever we do. He is not okay with sin of any kind. It is an affront to his holiness. It is not appropriate behavior for any child of his to continue in sin. Listen, we've covered this before. We can talk about all the things that God doesn't allow sexually, but the thing that we need to understand is the only thing that the Scripture affirms and honors is the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Everything else, everything else, God condemns. Not saying that to step on anybody's toes, but... That's what God's word says, that the only expression is between a man and a woman who are married to one another. Just because our culture tells us everything else is okay, let me be specific. Sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, not God's will. Engaging in homosexual behavior, not God's will. Having another man's wife, not God's will. Lusting after the man next door, not God's will. Viewing pornography, not God's will, etc., etc., God's word condemns all sins. I don't want you to get the idea that sexual sin is the only kind of sin there is. But it is one that we need to address because the culture keeps saying, this is the way, do whatever you want. All sin should be turned away from, not embraced, if you're going to follow Christ. Here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth, the church that had numerous problems with sinful sexual behavior among its members. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, among other words of instruction, Paul writes this in verses 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Flee is not a passive word. It invokes a sense of desperation. There's a terrible beast on your heels intent on devouring you. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning that the devil's like a lion roaring looking for somebody to devour. So there's this, this sense of there's somebody after you. You better run. Flee. 
Do you hear God's word? Sexual sin is not something to play around with. It is something to stay far, far away from. And if you give in, it will destroy you. This is not a popular message in our day, but it is the truth that God has spoken to us. So leave any teacher who tells you that you can continue in sin, in any kind of sin. Flee from immorality of all kinds, but especially of the sexual nature. Run like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife when she caught him alone in the house and tried seducing him. Run. Flee. That's God's word to us, to you and me. Back in 2 Peter, we see it again as we did last week that there's this hint that the false teachers are in it for the cash. They're exploiting people in order to gain wealth. They make up stories which will open up wallets to make donations flow into their ministry. Ministry in quotes. All right, I said enough about that last time, so let's move on. We stopped in the middle of verse 3. I know you noticed that. We're going to continue on and read the rest of verse 3 and go on through verse 10. We're back in 2 Peter, chapter 2, starting at verse 3. It says, their condemnation, talking about these false teachers, their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved content of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. This section can be summed up in just a few words. Eternal judgment awaits those who teach falsehood and those who refuse to repent. The opposite is implied as well. Eternal blessing awaits those who teach truth and those who turn away from sin. So, hear my plea. Turn from your sin and follow God. Put your faith in Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to free you from slavery to sin. Pray fervently for God's rescue. From the power of your flesh, continue steadfast in your struggle to shun sin. I know it's hard to stop sinning. I also know it's possible with God's help. I have experienced his power to overcome. I know that he can help you. I know that when temptation comes, you can say no because he gives the way of escape. Trust him. And it wouldn't hurt to find the support of a few others with like minds celebrate recovery meets on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. Hint, hint. All right, let's read a bit more. Skipping over verses 10 to 16 only because of time, there's more stuff in there about the themes of judgment and licentiousness, which we have already seen. So we're going to go to the end of the chapter, final verses of this chapter, verses 17 to 22. encourage you again to follow along as I read. This is 2 Peter 2, 17 to 22. 
These people, he's talking about the false teachers again, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. An interesting phrase God gave Peter is the one found in verse 19. And he's talking about the false teachers, and he says, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. Though those who promote sin suggest that there's freedom in it, Sin always leads to bondage. Sin enslaves and entangles and destroys, no matter what kind of sin it is. If a teacher says that you can continue your sinful pursuits, which they probably won't call sin, but if they tell you that you can continue in your pursuits without consequence, they're false. They're teaching error. The Bible is not soft on sin. It calls on all to be done with it. If you're going to follow Jesus, be done with it. Repent from your sin. Flee. God's word points the way to freedom from the guilt and the power of sin, and it is not continuing in it. The way to freedom is turning away from sin. The rest of 19 speaks this truth. It says, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Has sin mastered you? Then you're not free. Turn away from your sin. And believe that God is bigger than your sin and bigger than your temptation and able to help you overcome. And trust in Jesus for salvation, not only for salvation, but also for the freedom from the power of sin. That's the good news. True freedom. Freedom from the lure of fleshly desires comes through faith in Jesus. And it's the help of the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. All right, there's one more passage I want to cover today. It's a page flip away on chapter 3. Maybe you don't have to turn in your Bible. We'll start with verse 3 and read through verse 12. Again, this is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So, false teachers completely ignore all the Bible's warnings that the day of reckoning is coming. 
There's no judgment. Every man will be forgiven. Every woman saved. You've heard everybody's going to get in because God's love. And how could a God of love condemn anybody to hell? Friends, God is going to judge those who refuse his son. Those who love their sin more than they love Jesus will be condemned. When Jesus comes back, he'll bring salvation with him for those who have believed on him and put their faith in him and allowed him to change and transform them, and he will bring judgment with him for those who have refused him. How then should we live? We should live humbly before God, thanking him for his patience toward us and urging others to turn from sin and find life in Jesus in the same way. God is patient not wanting anyone to perish. God does not want to send anybody to hell. Isn't that the most amazing truth? God waits and waits and waits so that you have time to turn from your sin. He waits so that your neighbor can repent. We ought to thank God every day that he waits. And as we're waiting along with him, be praying for our friends who don't know Christ. For ourselves, that we would be able to overcome sin. You will not hear these words from false teachers. They're too busy denying the need for salvation, encouraging sin rather than repentance, and promising freedom, which isn't freedom at all. What the world calls freedom is bondage. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you to do something a bit out of the ordinary. We usually take time to reflect on God's word, and I encourage you to do that too. But as we take just a few moments in silence, I want you to pray for the preachers and the teachers who influence the people in your community. Pray that they would remain faithful to God and God's word. Pray that they would speak truth always so that those who hear them can be set free from sin so that the Spirit can do his work. I can tell you that the pressure to speak what people want to hear is great. It can be overwhelming at times. Pray that the Spirit will give strength to all who proclaim God's word. And as we talked about in Sunday school in Ephesians chapter 6, pray that they would preach the truth boldly, that they would teach fearlessly as they should. So pray for the teachers and then turn your heart toward God. Does he have anything to say to you? Anything that you need to do with what you've heard? Has he confronted lies that you've believed because of a false teacher or a false teaching? If he shows you your error, turn away from it and turn to the truth. Today is the day that we get to repent. Today is the day we get to follow Jesus and put our faith in him. So I encourage you to respond to God and to pray for the teachers in our community, that they would be faithful to him and his word. God, nothing's changed, really, not from Old Testament times or New Testament times or for centuries since. 
You've put out your truth and people have twisted it. And people chase after their own flesh instead of after what you desire for them. And God, we recognize that because we sense that in our own spirits. Sometimes we want to follow our flesh instead of you. Sometimes we, we sin. Grateful, God, that you are faithful and just, and when we confess our sin to you, that you purify us from all unrighteousness, and we're grateful for the salvation that we have through Jesus. God, there's people around us, people we love, family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers who, who are caught in bondage to sin of all kinds. And I pray, God, that you'd set them free, that you'd send out teachers. And I thank you, God, for those in our community who speak your truth in love but are faithful to what your spirit says and what your word says. And I pray, God, for your blessing on each teacher, each preacher in this community who is speaking truth, and for each person who in their own family is speaking truth to their kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and whoever else you give them influence over. God, help us to be fearless and bold in our proclamation of the truth that Jesus has come to set us free from sin and we don't have to live in it anymore. We don't have to be destroyed by the evil that is so prevalent. God, thanks for the freedom that you grant us through Jesus. God, whatever you've said to us today, help us to be obedient. Thank you, Jesus, for warning us that false teachers were coming so that we could be alert and notice. We thank you for your word to check everything against. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to be discerning as we listen this week and as we go to your word so that we can hear from your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.